Hey, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. This is um, the end of July now, 2020. Um, finally feeling like I've got a handle on this thing, um, getting the podcast back running, um, being able to talk to people a little more regularly, um, understanding what everybody's dealing with. So thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for following me on the Twitter and the LinkedIn and all these things. Um, you know, I'm, hopefully everybody's doing all right. Let me know. Send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. Let me know how you're doing. Um, you know, being having a chance to have some conversations this month with um, Martin Hay, Nikki Purcell, um, Pierre Etter, uh, all of these conversations been really good for me. Hopefully you found something valuable there. Um, let me know. Again, email me, daviddavewakeman.com. Uh, I emailed a somebody who listens and I connected with at the Intix in New York this year. Uh, I was like, hey, how are you doing? And the woman was like, I can't believe you emailed me to check in on me. I was like, it's in the bylaws that if you listen to the podcast, I will check in on you during a global pandemic. So, you know, let me know how you're doing. DavidDaveWakeman.com. Make sure you check out my friends at Booking Protect. Um, some really great content going on there. Stuff around reinvention, uh, rebuilding the relationships, making sure that you're providing great customer service now during the pandemic. Um, you know, uh, we've been talking about Booking Protect for years on the podcast. Uh, you know, right now is a really great time to consider offering people refund protection. Um, no better people than working with Simon and Kat and Kath and Abby and Sophie and all the people at Booking Protect. So check them out, www.bookingprotect.com. Um, check out the blog. Check out the information on refund protection. It's a super, super valuable idea. Also, um, you know, I put content there all the time, too. So, you know, if you miss it somewhere else, you can get it there. I mean, I try to be everywhere. Um, make sure you check out the We Will Recover platform. Uh, this is something great done by my friends um, from Activity Stream, uh, bringing together about 25 people or more organizations from around the, the globe. Uh, Intix is involved. Um, Andrew and Carol at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham are involved. Uh, Made Media, I believe. Uh, Booking Protect. Uh, me. I'm even there. So it's a great thing. Check it out. It's wewillrecover.live. There's tons of content, classes. Um, Frederick Awad from State 22 and I, we did a revenue master class. It's a really great source of stuff. Um, actually, when I get to recording this introduction and posting this podcast, I'm going to lay out a whole bunch of things um, about uh, what to do so we can help people get back on their feet, get people back in their building, uh, hopefully making some money again, uh, welcoming customers and fans back to their buildings, you know, all the good stuff, uh, which leads me into the Talking Tickets newsletter. If you do not sign, have it, or have not signed up for it already, if you do not get it on Fridays, what are you waiting for? If you're listening to my um, cranky voice right now, you should. You can get the sign up for it at DaveWakeman.com. There is a newsletter link on the homepage that will take you to the sign up for the talking tickets newsletter and another one I do on strategy on Sundays um, for the last week or so I have been running a survey in the talking tickets newsletter about and on social media about what where your head is you know how you like to engage with stuff what you're thinking about ways that we can um, 
help discover solutions to all the challenges we're fi- figuring out. So I'm going to create a blog post around the July podcast and all the episodes that I've done with all these great people who've spent time with me the past month. Uh, I'm going to include a link there because to try to tell you what the link is right now, you'd be like, I hate you. I'm not going to fill it out. So I'll make it easy for you. Look for it on social media. Look for it um, in the show notes. I'll put it there. Okay, um, my guest today, so sign up for the Talking Tickets newsletter. Don't skip it. My guest today is a guy called Matt Wolf from Ticket Time Machine. Matt is a really good guy. Uh, he has really um, used the pandemic uh, as a time to connect with people, to help people, um, you know, to be there for the industry. Um, you know, he's as excited about being a part of the industry as anybody I've met in a long time. Uh, we had a really great conversation. I wanted to have Matt on because, you know, first he said, can your assistant get me on the podcast? And I said, oh, absolutely. Uh, but you'll have to ply my assistant with uh, beer and meat for grilling, uh, which so I had a package show up on my doorstep full of beer and meat. I'm joking. No, um, really, I wanted to have Matt on because I think Matt brings uh, his enthusiasm is very, very um, it's infectious. And he really is you know, pushing really hard to be helpful and valuable to the industry. And so I wanted to have him on talk about some of the stuff that he's working on and some of the, his vantage point coming from a different part of the industry into a, uh, um, a part of the industry where he was on the printing side of the tickets and coming on to a part of the industry where he is now involved with like the experience and memorabilia. So we talk about marketing. We talk about the experience involved in going to a live event. We talk about overcoming the pandemic. We talk about um, getting involved in the industry. We talked about reinventing your business, reinventing yourself. Um, We joked about a bunch of stuff. Um, You know, it's great. Matt is a really nice guy. Um, You know, really, I've had a chance to you know, get to know him over the past couple months. It's been a real, um, a real pleasure for me to get to know him. Um, he texts me with like all kinds of barbecue things he's doing, or we uh, make fun of names of beers. Uh, he is a sour guy, which I don't completely get. I prefer bourbon and IPAs myself. Um, you know, but it, it's it's been one of getting to know him over the course of the pandemic um, has been one of the nice things in a period of time that has probably been not so nice for everybody um but you know so i hope you enjoy this conversation i had with matt wolf on the business of fun podcast i want to welcome matt wolf from ticket time machine to the business of fun matt what is going on my man uh not too much great to be here dave thanks i know it's great to be here this is a this podcast is a phenomenon my man i'm I'm kidding (laughs) of course i'm joking um thank you for doing this today uh you know I'm excited to have you on. I think we'll be able to crack some jokes. We'll be able to make a little light of things. I think it's going to be um, at least mildly amusing for folks. So, um, But I want to start out by talking to you because you are relatively uh, maybe a newer name for people in the industry. I've known you now for since the end of last year, uh, but you've been like throwing yourself into everything you possibly can, um, you know, as much as possible. And so the question I want to ask you at the start is, are you crazy? <laughs> you got to be a little bit crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm joking. Uh, I, yeah. I say that because, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You're like, going, this is one of the worst times in the world to really kind of get started and involved in tickets, isn't it? That's, <laughs> it's nuts. It's been, actually, it's been uh, interestingly enough, it's been really good for me, This the timing of it. So um, it's, you know, but 
sure, obviously, uh, for anyone, it's a it's a tougher time than if things were normal. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm only making light of it just to make a joke. Because one of the things though that I, that I do think is great about what you're doing is that you have really put yourself out there, and you have tried to become a um, work really hard to become a part of the community um, and to make sure that you are giving back and sharing ideas and just participating in a lot of stuff. And I tell people to do that all the time. And you've actually we've had several conversations offline where you know you've asked me how to better get involved and like things you can do. Um, and I, you know, number one, I think that, that getting involved is the only way you create change. And then number two is getting involved and being involved is just fun. Right. So, I mean, those are my two things. Um, but you know, what made you commit yourself so fully to getting involved so quickly in the industry? Well, part of it is to, to learn for me, the, all of the calls that I join and the people that I talk to, even if, if it seems like I'm helping them, it's really helping me because I'm learning more about the industry. I've been in the industry from a different point of view, from the ticket printing side uh, for a long time, but now I'm getting to learn more about the operations side of ticketing and the, and the business side of ticketing. And then also just getting to meet people uh, like you and like all the other people I've met in the industry that have been great. And, uh, you know, there'll be friends and there'll be people that I think we'll, I'll be able to partner with down the road. Yeah, I think the, the learning thing is, is extremely important because people rush in and they don't understand um, the business so far. And there's so many um, different aspects of it. I think it's surprising to folks a lot of times when they get, they you know, they first get involved. Um, and right now, like you mentioned, ticket operations, right? Because you have been on all the in-text calls and you get involved in a lot of that stuff. You know, why has that been the area you focused on so much? Well, it's it's what's going to push my business to the forefront. With everything is going digital, we know it's going digital, and so just trying to understand more about what their thoughts are and how I can help them get to where they want to be, but also introduce this new revenue stream and new idea on how they can engage their fans more. And and that to me, that's something that's going to be important moving forward because they they can't necessarily go 100% digital right now. But everyone's trying to make that push that way, and now you have to consider uh, the cost of everything, and then you got to consider the fans. And we've had this conversation a lot too. It's the, the fans are going to need to be appeased, and you're going to have to give value to the fans because once they're able to come back, you're going to need to actually get them back. You brought you bring up a great point. I'm going to tuck that one in for a second and hold on to that one because the, the question I want to ask, and sometimes I think people. Um, they maybe get the wrong impression about when I ask some of these questions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tip my hand a little bit and tell you the joke here is that I have this Peter Drucker saying written in my notebook that says everything that everyone believes is typically wrong, and that really just means that like to me, if everybody is going in one direction and everything just everybody just makes an assumption about an idea, I want to be contrary and ask if that's really true. So that, that should always be in the back of people's minds as they're listening to this thing. That's my point of view. So when I ask you this question, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just going to ask you the question. And that, that is, are you sure that everything is going to go digital? Or is that just an ambition that people have because they want to capture the data, even though as an ongoing hypothesis of the podcast here and my work is that 
maybe we have all the data in the world we can use. We just don't really know how to use it effectively. Well, I'll agree with that part for sure. Um, I, I don't think that everything will go digital 100%, but I think the a huge majority of places and teams and venues and tours will go digital as much as they can. Um, you know, they're, if they try and push it too much, to your point, it's, it's going to wind up backfiring on them. And they have a lot of work to do with getting things digital with regards to Wi-Fi and, and how the customer experience is going to be. I think the big problem is that they're really telling you why they're doing this and how great it's going to be, which isn't true. And then, you know, trying to, to spin it for them. Um, that's that's going to be a big problem, I think, going forward. But I, I do think that things will be uh, going digital. Uh, there, will, there will always be a printed ticket for a variety of reasons. Well, tell me why. Why will there always be a different uh, a printed ticket? Well, it's just uh, there's just people who are going to want to have that printed ticket for either a souvenir or commemorative. There's people who for just operationally are going to need a printed ticket. Let's say you're a group of 20 people. And, you know, you, it's just harder to disperse or, or you're a, a VIP or a suite or the suite holder. So there, there's just going to be different pockets of, of customers or fans that are going to need something printed, uh, whether that's a print at home or an actual printed ticket, that might be a different story. But just purely going 100% digital on your phone, is, I don't think is going to be uh, feasible and I don't think it's going to be what the market will accept. Well, yeah, let me ask you, too, and this may be outside of the um, the scope of your expertise, because the, the impression that I get from talking to people that I know um, from around the world is, or is, well, mainly around the country, is that the idea of a digital ticket and not having something physical, um, while in theory going all digital because people don't want to have contact with things after the coronavirus sounds great. I don't know if people trust it because there's been so many situations where organizations have changed their ticketing policies, their refunds, and their um, exchange policies. There's been all these changes that have gone on with people having absolutely no control over them, and they don't have a physical ticket. They just have a, a barcode or a, um, a di you know a digital readout on their phone screen. I get the impression from talking to a lot of people, not an insubstantial amount of people at this point, that people don't trust the digital ticket because they feel like it can be manipulated and they have absolutely no control. You know, so the flip side to that seems that maybe the paper ticket is going to be even more important because people are going to want to have that item, that that thing that they control, right? So I, at least I know that I have these two tickets in my hand. Um, what do you? What's your take on that? Or maybe it's that's just me like talking that smack out of my tuckus. <laughs> It's uh, I, I think it's interesting. I, I don't I don't disagree with it. I think that there are always going to be people who don't trust the the digital ticket or the print at home because of how easy it is to replicate or, you know, I know Ticketmaster is doing the rotating barcodes, but now that involves having very, very good Wi-Fi issues. I was at a game that I was standing online for missed basically the first half of the first half of a college football game because they couldn't scan the tickets. They were all digital. I had 10 on my phone. By the time I got up to the front, this older gentleman was trying to scan my tickets off my phone. 
and he couldn't get it. He got through like three of them, and then he's like, "All right, you guys can all go in." Um, so it's it, you know that's part of it. Um, I, I don't I don't subscribe to this safety. I think the COVID issue and contact list is a it's just a scapegoat for everything. There's nothing safer about me handing you a ticket for you to scan than it is me handing you my phone. You don't have to touch either. If the contact is such a big issue from the ticketing, why isn't it a big issue with the, the souvenirs that you buy at a merch store or the food that you get? I mean, you know, they're, they're going to probably be wearing gloves anyway. So I think that's just a, a uh, I think it's just what they're, they're telling you to try and push their agenda. That's, that's my opinion. But, uh, you know, I do agree. The paper ticket, for, for many reasons, and, and what you said is, is going to be one of them. People need to trust. It's very hard to, to replicate a, a thermal ticket that has security features or even a hard ticket that has, um, you know, the security features there, too. And not, not that people won't try, but it's much easier to replicate a digital ticket. I can do that, you know, myself right now, create a digital ticket that looks exactly like it. And someone's not going to know until they get up to the, the scanner and try and use it. Look at you with all these crazy things you're talking about, replicating digital tickets, um, <laughs> security of paper tickets. Um, who knew? Who knew? Well, my, uh, my brother bought a, 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 a fake Dave Matthews ticket for like 100 bucks at Madison Square Garden. And when he got up to them, they, they wouldn't let him in. And so uh, he had to go buy another, another ticket. You know, fraud is always going to be there. The, the fraudsters are very, very smart in all aspects. I worked for LexisNexis doing anti-money laundering solutions, and the fraudsters are just getting smarter and smarter and smarter. So regardless of how they go forward, the people will try and find a way to scam. Oh, that's the truest thing that I think um, any of us ever, ever said, where there is the ability to profit from some sort of nefarious activity, there is somebody who is always going to try. Uh, yeah. That's just as true as the day is long. Um, you know, we see it every day in every aspect of uh, the world, I think, right now. I think this is like the most true thing you could probably say. But I want to come back to the thing that I said I was going to hold on to for a second, which you talked about just now, about the need to get fans to come back to games when they're able to. Um, and the working assumption that I think, again, going back to the how I tip my hand, if everybody's going in one direction, I want to know if that's really true because what everybody assumes is true is often not true. The working assumption for people has been that, like, demand is going to be so pent up and so overwhelming that all they ha people have to do is throw open their doors. Now, from my point of view, I've talked to, again, a bunch of people over the last few days, um, corporate buyers, uh, team side people, um, all over the all over the world, and they've said that as they've started to um, talk to their customers, talk to their clients, talk to people, they found out that maybe the will to come back is going to be a little bit less overwhelming than people think right out of the top of right off the top of their head, and it could be for any number of reasons, that, you know, that I pointed out before. Like, you know, we're dealing with an economic crisis. We're dealing with a psychological one. We're dealing with one that's um, health-related. Um, you know, there's going to be economic issues. There's all these different issues. Um, you know, so you brought up the idea of winning fans back. You know, you know, how do you think we, we go forward with something like that? You know, like if you had to propose a hypothesis to me on getting people to come back, 
what would it be? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, you know, if you're, the biggest thing is going to be the health issue, right? Do people feel safe going to a game? If we take that out of the equation, now everyone, there's no real health issue anymore. Um, one of the, I think the, and I think we might disagree on this, but I think the teams and the, and the artists and the events that have no problem getting people historically are going to be fine. It's the, it's those that had a little bit of trouble prior to sell out games or sell tickets. They're going to have even more of a trouble now. And also depending on the schedule of things, you know, if everything's not going at the same date and season that it was before, now you have extra competition between sports that maybe never had competition before. Uh, my feeling about the, the economics of it is people are going to go. They, people have always spent money that they don't have because they want something, whether that's for an experience or a product. Um, I think that, you know, currently now I've, I've been saving money at a very uh, – fast pace because I'm not spending any money on anything. So if you save it correctly, then you kind of put that rainy day fund away for when things do come back and, and sort of invest in, um, you know, the events that you want to go to. Uh, I, you know, I don't have an answer. It's a, it's, you know, I hate to try and just say, I don't have an answer, but I don't have an answer of what would get me back in. Cause I'm, I'm not the person who won't go. I'm always going to go regardless if I, if I'm making 30,000 a year or 300,000 a year, I'm always going to go to do the events and see the stuff I want to. Um, so now it just depends on what kind of scale and, and experience I'm doing internally. Am I, you know, going to the, the suite tickets and the VIP tickets, or am I just going to get standing room only? But, um, you know, the experience is there. I think some of the teams have gone to try and do that. I know the dolphins try and make the game a little bit more of a, you know, they put a concert at the beginning, just more value, just more of a, an event than just a game. Because if you just want to watch the game, then, you, you know, people just want to watch it on TV and their air conditioning, cooking and drinking, whatever they want to do. And some sports are a better experience than others for the experience of the ballpark. Like a baseball game, to me, is a great just, you know, social uh, event with my friends and walking around the park and and doing stuff and not necessarily having to see every minute of it. But in football, you don't do that. You sit in your seat and you, and you watch every play because who knows what's going to happen. Um, so I think uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they do it. And some people will just wait until things are declining to try and figure that out. That's, I think, where the, the, the error is going to be. Yeah, I, I don't think we actually disagree on that at all. I think that there's trends, and I know that I've said this thing about trends quite a lot lately, that were already in place before the pandemic um, that are just going to be accelerated by it. You know, and, that, and that's not like a controversial thing. It's just sort of hist- a historical aspect of any crisis, right? Trends that were already evident are, are accelerated. And I think that, like you said, some of the people who were already drawing well, you know, look at somebody like, um, you know, Pearl Jam, or you look at someone like Wilco, um, some of these bands and acts, uh, you know, maybe the Lakers, right? They're not going to, they're not going to struggle necessarily because they were already had huge demand, but the people who are, are going to struggle are the ones who are already struggling, right? Like, so you're looking at tons of baseball teams and football teams and basketball teams, 
um, and, and, you know, and to an extent even hockey, right, where there was challenges, concerts. A lot of concerts were maybe selling 50% of their tickets. Those are going to be a, a challenge and a struggle. And so when you bring up the idea of it being like a, an experiential thing, I think that a lot of times, because, and, and there's, a, there's a, a question I'm going to pose here as opposed to a monologue, is a lot of times we make this assumption that you brought up, which is that like, well, I'm going to come no matter what, right? Like, you know, my bias is always to be out at events, always to be out doing things. But you have to put yourself in the position of the person who doesn't always go right. out, right? Like the average person maybe goes to what, one or two events a year, possibly? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have the exact number in front of me right now. But the thing is, it's like as soon as we're involved in this thing, right, like I know that I am not the average customer, right, because – I can't be. I, I work on this stuff, you know, and have worked on on events and and things like this since I was 20 years old, right? Um, a few and years so one ago. of the yeah, a few, a few now, uh, <laughs> much longer than I like to admit most days. The thing is, is like, how do we adjust our mindset, right? And you may not have the answer to this because I certainly am always fighting this tendency to put ourselves in the position of thinking through the challenge of getting people off their couches, out of their state, out of their seats, um, out of the bars to come to an event because our, in, our inclination is to go. And their inclination is like, they're just looking for the experience. So what do you think from a, from the point of view, uh, from your point of view that we can do to enhance this experience? Because the point you made with the dolphins is great. And one thing I don't talk about a lot here, but I should probably a little more is one time in back early, a long time ago, right? I'm an old old timer now. Worked with Yellowtail on a project to help them go to 36 cities and throw 36 tailgate parties before football games, and you know, and that that created this huge experience. So now that I've monologued, you know how, you know, from your point of view, how do you figure out a way to overcome that bias towards well, this is what I want to look at it through the eyes of somebody who may not be like. Yeah, so from a sports uh, event perspective, stuff that you mentioned, tailgating, the pregame experience, the halftime, ex- the halftime experience, whatever that might be. I don't know what's, what they can do or what they can't do, but, you know, when you go to the big games, the Super Bowls and the championship games, they have a concert at the halftime. Someone comes out and sings two or three songs. In pregame, there's, there's all kinds of uh, brands, and it's almost like if you take the festival experience, and the big game experience and translate that to every, every day. Uh, football is a little bit easier. Baseball, obviously harder um, to do that because there's 81 home games. And, and um, you know, so there's a challenge there, but in baseball, the Marlins have a virtual home run derby in there and they have a band that plays, you know, get, that, get the kids earlier there. Food. Think about food, the food that you offer at a, at a game. I think baseball does the best job of offering something unique. Football, it's all, you know, the same stuff, put hamburgers and hot dogs and chicken sandwiches. So if you can get the food and drinks to be, you know, unique, people are going to want to come and, and, and go for that. Uh, that's my feeling. Um, but again, I'm different like you. I'm going to go no matter what. But there are things that the stuff that I mentioned that would make my experience better it doesn't mean I'm not going to go if they don't have it, but then you got to find the people who are, are 
not like us who what might not go, but then they will go for that. And then pricing. I mean, look, the, the cost is, is always going to be a factor in these things. The parking these days is outrageous. Um, admission. Yeah. You can get some admissions, not necessarily that bad, but think the food. So I think the cost is a big deal too. If you can lower the cost, but sell more in volume, uh, you know, I think there's a, your revenue is not going to take a hit and that's going to just give people a better feeling as they're there and not going to a, an event and, and dread having to pay $14 for a beer, which is insane. At Matt's park, it's $17 the last time I was there. So, you know, they don't undersell it. It's it, that, that part of it is absurd. And I believe that, um, the teams whose pricing model has been like, look at the spreadsheet, how much can I squeeze out of somebody? It's going to be under, it's going to be under an extreme amount of pressure because I know, again, me and talking to the corporate buyers is, is a, one of the big reasons that people, um, you know, will pay attention to me is because I know those people because for a long time when I was selling tickets day to day, my, my client list was probably most of the fortune 500. Right. So I was dealing with these people all the time. So I know what their entertain, you know, their entertainment needs and desires are. I know exactly what they're trying to achieve with the thing. I know all of these things. And if the, those customers is like flying business class, right? If that part of the business goes away, it's a challenge because you've trained people over time that it's a special event, right? Like there's 81 baseball games most years. Not this year, obviously. Um, Maybe not next year either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows, right? But 81 baseball games, it's really, really tough to make 81 baseball games a premium experience. You need people to buy in to the experience, the journey. You know, I've described baseball as a like a novel, right? And you work through the early chapters in April and May. You get to the meat of the book in June and July. August and September are kind of like – you know, driving you towards the conclusion, and then you have the if you're in if you're in the race, a whole other challenge. Well, if your team is so far out of it, right? Yeah, but the, the, the and you don't have a market that player. never holds up to me because the pro- the problem is is that have you ever watched minor league base? Have you seen what minor league baseball does? Every summer, I oh, take my great. son to a, a, a Durham Bulls game, right? I don't care who the Durham Bulls are playing. I don't even no. know who's on the team. I just yeah. go because it's fun. Right. Yeah. And I think that aspect has got to get be returned to sports. Um, you know, it needs to be fun so that you can take your kid. Right. My son's very disappointed because this year we won't get to go to a Durham Bulls game because we could barely leave our house in D.C. It's crazy. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> but all those things I think you bring up are very, very important. The experience really is um, going to be key to winning people back. And it's going to probably have to evolve because of the trend that it was under was already going in a, in a negative direction in a lot of places. Yeah, if you, if you, if you look at the pricing, let's just get back to the, the cost of things. Don't try and squeeze every penny you can out of someone for a certain product, whatever that is. If you took the soda and beer and you lowered the price even half, I think you'd sell twice more than twice as much. That's my feeling. Now, the, the alcohol is a different story. You've got to be careful with that because if it's, too cheap you're going to have a lot of other issues but if i if i'm a family going to the game and i'm going to spend a hundred dollars and generally i think people are like that they say look i, I here's how much money i want to spend today would you rather them get two items for a hundred dollars or would you rather them get five items if they're spending a hundred dollars they're spending a hundred dollars i don't know that you're going to get them to increase that so it's it's almost like hey i know we're going to get this money from you 
let's try and get you as much for, you know, much bang for the buck as people say for that. And then, you know, if you can't afford to, to not have operate at those huge margins and that's, you know, that's a whole other issue. I think I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What? How, how, you know, maybe some poor assumptions in your business model, right? Because if that's, if you can't afford to give people these things, because I know incremental costs pretty well, right? I, and I've talked about my history in nightclubs and, you know, some of the great things I learned, you know, about incremental costs working in nightclubs. It's that, it, you know, the variable cost between a, and the, the one I use all the time is gin. So between rot gut gin or a premium gin is about a penny or two on a, yeah. on a scale, maybe. But the value that you can get, the perception of value that you can give that increases um, can allow you to generate exponential revenue increases, right? So, the, the, again, to use like the example I use probably far too regularly in a lot of cases is when I first started out in nightclubs, we had to figure out how to generate a quarter more from each guest that came through the door because that was our goal we set for ourselves. And so the question that we ended up coming up with was when people would ask us what kind of um, gin they want. Like if somebody asked us for a gin and tonic, they work for vodka, soda, or whatever, too. You would ask them, what kind of gin do you prefer? And that right. question alone drove about a half million dollars in brand new revenue or, I mean, brand new profit with very little associated costs. And that same idea should drive out over and over and over again because then the thing is is that you've created is an experience that's way, way better. So they feel better. You've made more money. And the, the truth is, is that you'll get the customer to come back because they're having a better time. But if you charge somebody $17 for a beer or you know $45 for a T-shirt or something – the, the likelihood is that they're going to feel like, eh, do I, is it better to go to the bar or the restaurant or to get the premium package at home? I think those are real. Or actually, I don't think this, I know this because I talk to people all the time. This is a real consideration, right? They won't take their kids. They won't go yeah. two or three times a week, right, for baseball. Especially the kids. Or, I mean, you have the kids. They, they're always asking you to buy me something every time you're at the event, at the game. Can I have a shirt? Can I have a poster? Can I have, you know, this thing? And it's uh, it just adds up to become it becomes unaffordable. Think all these other corporate events, and then now, to your, you know more about this. The corporate corporations are going to be like, well, we're, we're not going to spend all this money on, on on these tickets right now. So you know that's so what they the lean on. Here's the reality of dealing with the corporations, right? Because and this is not me, you know, reading into what they they talked about. This is a quote directly from several of them, is that we don't see the value of having a full season package any longer. We would prefer to just buy select games that we really, really need off the secondary market. That's yeah. a, a quote, and I've heard that from many, many sources, you know, three or four, like, directly from this. Um, you know, and, and it's true because the thing is, is like, you're trying to hold out this sort of exclusivity where it's, you know, and charge people for something that's not exclusive, right? The yeah, I, I think I, I've never held the season what they ticket. Get. I've never held the season ticket for anything. We've had packages, you know, half the season or, 
stuff like that. The only season ticket package I would ever buy would be for the Gators in my eyes because, you know, I'd go to every game if yeah, I could. If I could. That's no good because, I mean, they're going to lose to Alabama every year anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is the guise of this coronavirus being the downfall of companies, whether it's in the sports world or if it's a restaurant, is there not a good chance that that company or organization or team or league was, was struggling anyway? And, and it's, it, that's part of why it was. And, you know, if you can't float yourself for six months or three months, you know, how, how good, is, how likely is it that something else might come along in a year or two? So the question you're asking me is about like the stability of businesses and their ability to withstand shock. And I think that you have to look at a, a, a few things. Um, one of them being, you know, what's the system that we're, you know, that the businesses are operating in? And the, truthfully, they're working the way they're supposed to, right? Like they, you know, there's been such the uh, easy access to credit. Um, you know, there has been uh, indiscriminate spending due to that lack of credit. Um, there has not, you know, the change in the tax laws last year incentivized uh, companies not to. Uh, store cash for rainy days or stability. Instead, it in, in, um, incentivized them to uh, buy back their stock, or you know, or you know, fund themselves, you know, so, so they can inflate their stock prices. You know, there's a bunch of things like that. So, uh, some of these challenges are predictable. So, but the thing about it is, is that any recession, any kind of crisis, you're likely to find that an organization is. Um, that was struggling is going to see that change and that struggle accelerate. So I think what you're seeing is some organizations that were um, look successful on paper were heavily over leveraged, were extremely um, unstable in their business processes, maybe hadn't spent the time and effort putting together solid processes, maybe weren't dealing so well with their customers. You know, they don't. They didn't know their customers very well. You know, all these things are going are going on, and I think that in a crisis, right, when people are making um, more, uh, you know, thoughtful decisions on what where they're investing their money or their attention or their time, these things are exposed. And I think that's what you're seeing, right? And I think that you know, so like one of the things that with with some of the corporate buyers that I've been talking to, right, I know um, a couple people that live near me. They have a bunch of um, tickets for different sports around uh, D.C., and they are talking about, like, oh, you know, like, first of all, the customer service level wasn't very great um, for our tickets. Number two, the responsiveness during the crisis has been pretty much abysmal. Yeah. Uh, number three, they've just auto-renewed and rolled over the tickets for, for next, you know, for next year without even asking us, you know, and you keep adding these things on the decision becomes easy because they're not you're not a partner you're a vendor and really what it feels like for a lot of these buyers is you're trying to pull things over on them all of these things they accelerate so it sh it just highlights where the challenges are where the inconsistencies are where there is a lack of process a lack of thoughtfulness a lack of strong uh leadership and all of these things are just being laid bare um, which I guess you asked me a question on my podcast. Did I answer that question? <laughs> yeah. No, customer service is, is the downfall of, of a ton of 
uh, businesses and, and ideas and organizations. I mean, it, a lot of it's the same. Like if I go to Target or Walmart or if I go to CVS or Walgreens, I'm essentially buying the same product and roughly around the same price. So what draws me to one as opposed to the other? Distance, yeah, maybe price if it's significant enough, but it's how you feel and being treated and, and, and as a customer. And then that's the point you had too is being a partner. I have, you know, you should treat certain people more like partners than customers. And, um, you know, just you can't take for granted that they're always going to be a customer because things change for a lot of different people. Um, and exactly maybe right. this, the expenses too, like how much, are we, you know, when things were well, we were just spending willy nilly. And now we look at this and we're like, well, we can't be spending like this. You couldn't have said it. I couldn't have said it better myself I mean, because I've had several of my partners call me and say, let me, I want I, this is what we're going to do. And you only, you tell us if you think this is right or wrong. And they would, and they would tell me, Hey, look, you know, we have these relationships with these, these companies or these people, and we could hold them to the contract. But the thing is, is like they're under so much pressure. Holding them to their contract could be the difference between somebody keeping their job or not keeping their job. Uh, the key to the difference between them being our partner in five years or not being around in five years. And we, we feel like we're going to make the decision to um, give them some leeway to, you know, not necessarily – have to you know pay the full you know purchase all these tickets or pay the full freight on some of these things because our view is that we want them to be our partner for the long term you know and and, and I think that's just you kind of got to do you, you that's the should be the thought process right but again if you're going back to the idea of businesses not being able to sustain a shock to their system a lot of it comes down to incentives to begin with Right, and the incentives were not to have a rainy day fund. They were not to treat customers like partners, but to treat them like transactions. Right, all of these things are playing out. I don't know that anything changes on the other side of the pandemic because, strangely enough, a lot of times the new normal looks like the old normal, and we've seen that play out over and over and over again, um, you know, throughout history. So, you know, I don't know, but I would like to think that. Maybe at the end of this, whenever the end comes in the States, right, um, we have a much greater um, appreciation that people do business with other people. Um, because I think that really um, the business climate in the States has gotten incredibly harsh and transactional when, you know, business is about people. You know, and, and, and I, it you know, always I know has, if it I always will. do. <laughs> A great job. I mean, I try to do a great job of that, but I don't. You know, I don't know that I even I always do the best job of that. Well, it's it's all. You know, I I like to think that that's why what I what I have to offer is just being someone who's going to be compassionate and who's going to want to help. And it's not always about squeezing the extra dollar and uh, doing what's right, even if it's not. You know, the greater good is a big. Thing for me. And I look at that politically. I look at that throughout the whole world. I look at that through the eyes of my business. And um, no, I'm a fan. I'm a fan first. That's, that's what I'll always be. So I'm always going to fight for the fan. Even when I work for other people, I was a customer person. I want to fight for the customer because ultimately they're the ones who are going to pay, uh, you know, buy me my food for the table for, for my family, even though I'm getting paid 
specifically by the company that without the customers, I, I don't have an opportunity to make any money. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I feel that things are going to get back to as close to how they were eventually with, you know, obviously new things, new trends, new technology. But, you know, my hope is that we'll be doing the things that we've been doing all along. And, you know, whether that's a year from now or two years from now or three years from now, I'm looking forward to it whenever it is because I'm itching for some for live sports and live music in person without having to worry about how far I'm standing from someone and listening to it on a on a radio. It's uh Oh yeah, I like They're good I alternatives, mean, but it's not it's not good. I have the um there's so many event, great events that I had planned this year that were canceled. Um what was the like one that you you missed the most? Matt, I can't tell you um get put my finger on one, but I will give you three. <laughs> <laughs> just for fun. Uh I was gonna go see Pearl Jam at um the what you call it? oh shoot. Uh, in, at Hyde Park in London. Oh, I wow. was going to go see Pearl Jam at the Apollo in New York City. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to see uh Red Sox opening day. Uh oh, so that would be great too. But I was also gonna go see Wilco the and the National at Wolf Trap. Uh you know, there's like so many great things um, you know, that I was gonna have a chance you know, planning on going to this year um you know which brings me to like something you talk about a lot um and one thing i want to wrap the podcast up with two like sort of fun things since we talked a lot about uh, marketing and customer experience and getting people back in here now i want to have a little fun at your expense um or sure. at, at my expense because most of the time the joke <laughs> needs to be on me because that's like a speaker 101 thing Everybody speaker. always make the joke of yourself um but bucket list items right tell me your two best events that you've ever been to, and then two things you really want to see. And if you want, I'll do the same thing. Yeah, so I – the things I've been to – if you need to go first, I can do that for you. I can, <laughs> to give I you can a second. The, the, two, the two things that I've been to that have been bucket list for me are national championship games in college and the College World Series. So I'm a huge Gator fan, so a lot of my bucket list is going to be about that. Uh, other bucket lists that I haven't been to, you know, stuff like the Masters, would be a bucket list, uh, Kentucky Derby. It usually falls around my birthday. And then um, I've been to a soccer match overseas. Olympics would be a bucket list. And then maybe just like a music festival out in, um, out in Europe. Those are the things that are in the sports and entertainment business that are my bucket list. Hmm. Okay, so the two... I would, the couple of things that I've been to that were the great that I still remember as being the greatest was I went to the bloody sock game. So Kurt Schilling against the uh, Yankees with the bloody sock. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It was it was incredible. Yeah, no, I like got it. Game six of the uh, AL championship. It was unbelievable, right? That, that was like one of the coolest things. I also my first big sporting event was unbelievable. It was the Colorado Notre Dame game in the Orange Bowl. Where uh, the touchdown got called back on the rocket, um, I believe. It, and, but it was like, the, so that was like two things that were unbelievable. Um, and I still remember them. And then the other thing, which I shared um, recently because it just passed us, was the greatest concert I've ever been was I saw Pearl Jam at Madison Square Garden on July 8, 2003. I always remember it because the floor shook. And it was one of only four times uh, ever that the floor had shaken. 
and what was amazing about it was watching the video of it was that they didn't really even play any hits. There was like, you know, it was all like deep cuts, almost the entire show. Um, and the people were just so into it. It was so great. Uh, my buddy that I went to, we, we every year we text about it. I was like, I do freaking remember this concert. It was amazing. Now, bucket list items. I have become a huge um, football fan, European football fan. I really want to go to the Champions League final. Um, I, yeah. I tried to make it happen last year because my club, Tottenham Hotspur, was in it. Um, I couldn't make it work because of some business commitments. Um, but it, that would be great. I'd also love to go to the World Cup. Um, again, that goes along right, yeah. with that. And um, not in Qatar thing, though, Qatar or whatever. No, no <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a there's a there's a there's a story there uh, for one of these days when we go out having having a drink or something. Um, but you know, I'd love to go to the World Cup. I would love to go to the Champions League final, and I'd love to go to like the opening ceremonies of the Olympics because I've yeah. never had a chance to do that. And I think those would be great. Um, you know, so but like one, one, thing, one last thing I want to say about your bucket list, and it's really the crux of why Ticket Time Machine exists, is none of those things could have been expected that you went to. The stuff I went to, sure, it's expected. It's a national championship game. Of course, it's going to be awesome, especially if you win. Um, but even that said, the national championship tickets that I have don't even indicate that the Gators played on it. That's just the nature of the ticketing business. But all the events you did, you don't even you didn't even know going into it that that was going to be. Yeah, you thought it'd be a great event, but did you think it'd be like the best you've ever been to? No, there's things that are memorable about that event, and that's what to me sports and music are all about. It's like the the memories. It's all about a memory. Look, you've been to a ton of Pearl Jam shows, and you'll go to a ton of them then. But that something about that day, that show, that experience means something to you and it's something that you'll never forget oh yeah and there's other ones too it's like the year that wilco played the daughters of the american revolution in dc on super bowl sunday and we went and it was one of the, that was one of the three best concerts i've ever been to i saw the ticket stuff somewhere from that and who knew like i was just taking because my, my Catherine, you know my partner she could care less about the super bowl so i was like well, i care less about the super bowl myself except for the fact that everybody watches it and expects you to watch it but i was like well, i'd much rather go see wilco and it was a fantastic concert it was unbelievable i had unbelievable great seats the whole thing it was, and who would have known i i wouldn't have expected it it was unbelievable that that's right and so i think that having those souvenirs um, it really it helps it, it deepens that connection. I think it's super super powerful, um, you know. And and I I agree with you about the the physical ticket. There's plenty of room for digital tickets. There's plenty of a room to collect data. Um, there's plenty of room. There's opportunity for all kinds of stuff. Um, I, you know, as far as the data goes and collecting information from people, I, I still think one of the most powerful ways that you can get people to share their data with you and tell you what they want and what they desire is to ask them. And a lot of times yeah. we just fail to ask people, um, you know. No, they're push, that's a great point. They're just pushing it on you. They're getting your information. Yeah. They're just pushing it on you. Every, I scroll through Facebook and whatever I've just talked about or searched is now appearing in there. Yeah. You know, ask, it, it, it's it a great point. It brings up distrust. Yeah, it brings up distrust of advertising. It drives down advertising effectiveness. Um, you know, it gives you this false impression of last tri last click attribution, which makes you believe that brand building and storytelling aren't as important as they truly are. I mean, there's all these things. Yeah, I don't um, think they can track it the way they think you can. I mean, if I if I have something in my hand and I show it to a hundred people, you're not going to be able to track that. 
that I talked about this thing that I got at the concert or the sporting event, or, you know, I, I bring it to the next tailgate and they're like, Oh, where'd you get that? Well, I got it from this event that I went to, or, or I bought it from this brand, but th- there's no way to track. So whatever numbers they're telling you that we can provide is just, it's a guess really. I mean, it's an educated guess, but right. there's more value to stuff that you can't track. The, the ills or the benefits and the ills of digital marketing is a whole podcast all its own. Yeah. But I want to wrap this up by asking you one thing, uh, because this has become an ongoing text chain between me, you, and my uh, co-host on the happy hour that we do on Fridays, Ken True. What are you going to grill today? Well, today, nothing. But Friday is when we do the, the grilling and the and the um, the slow cooker. And on my menu that I'm looking at right now, we got short ribs for Friday. Uh, and when will mine be here? <laughs> well, you got to come here. If you could brave, I don't know which is worse, D.C. or Florida, but if you drive down a, here. Having lived both places, I'm going to tell you, I think it's D.C. It's hotter. It's so crazy hot here. Is it? I'll meet you halfway. How about that? That would be even probably worse because then you're talking about Georgia, and that's even hotter. That, there's, there's, I got to go north for the summer. Matt, where can I point people to find you on the Internet, man? Yeah, so uh, TicketTimeMachine.com uh, is the website. We're actually, I think this week or next, is going to have a, a, a new uh, rebirth of, of the website. On Twitter, I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can just click Ticket Time Machine, Instagram as well, and then me personally, LinkedIn. Uh, Jesse Cole of the Savannah ba- Bananas gave uh, something that I truly believe in. He's the CEO and the owner. Um, always be accessible. I'm probably the most accessible person you'll ever meet. My phone number, my email is there. It's, it's all over the place. So if you want to get in touch with me, I respond to every email, message, uh, DM. Uh, I can be found everywhere, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TicketTimeMachine.com. Uh, happy to talk to anyone who needs it. All right, awesome. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Man. No, this has been great. I appreciate it, Dave. There it was, my conversation with Matt Wolf from Ticket Time Machine. You let me know what you thought by sending me an email. It is my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. Make sure that you check out my uh, website. It's DaveWakeman.com. You'll find all kinds of stuff I'm up to. There's a blog there. There's um, I post events or calendar stuff. I'm in the process of updating it, but it's a home for all kinds of either great stuff or crazy stuff you choose. Uh, make sure you check out my friends at Booking Protect bookingprotect.com there's some great content going up about uh, reinvention uh, customer service building and rebuilding relationships Um, if this pandemic has proved anything it is that um, you know relationships count Um, thinking about things in advance is very very important Um, and making sure that you stay connected to your audience is great Uh, so there's some really great content there and if you are thinking through the process of refund protection there is no better partner in the world than booking protect i can say that for certain Um, make sure you check out the we will recover initiative it is put together by the folks at audience or activity stream not audience view Um, but they audience view is a partner they are uh, somebody who um, contribute some content to this website. Uh, may, you know, it's folks from all over the world. Uh, I think every continent now. It's a great collection of people and ideas. Um, 
you know, classes, blogs, all kinds of great stuff. It's at wewillrecover.live. Uh, check it out. It's a great, great idea full of things that will help hopefully get people back on their feet faster and more effectively. Make sure, if you don't already, get the Talking Tickets newsletter. You can get it by visiting my website. That's DaveWakeman.com. There's a newsletter link there. Click on that. You'll save two uh, newsletters. There's one for Talking Tickets. There's another one for the Business of Value. Uh, make sure you sign up. Uh, every Friday, I send you five stories with some analysis, some action items. Um, you know, some weeks during the pandemic, it's been very tough. Some weeks I've cracked jokes. People don't like to crack and joke so much, but that's okay. It's my newsletter. It's free. You get what you pay for. Uh, make sure you check it out. Uh, I have been doing a survey this week uh, in the newsletter, on social media, uh, through all the little different channels I have about what people are thinking, what they're dealing with, you know, what's the best way for people to learn? What are some of the ideas they're looking for? Uh, what are some of the surprising lessons they've learned? All kinds of crazy stuff going on. Um, and I will put a link to that in this week's Talking Tickets and in any blog posts associated with this. Um, and I will pump it out on social media. Uh, but I've really learned some really great things about folks so far. Um, you know, so thank you for helping me out with that. Uh, check out Matt. Um, you know, let me know if you need to talk to somebody. Um, if you just want to talk and just blow off steam, um, you want to crack some jokes, uh, every Friday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time here in the U.S., I host a happy hour on the Google Meet with my friend Ken Troop. Um, you know, come there, we crack jokes and we laugh at each other. Um, most of the time it's me and Ken making fun of each other, uh, which is totally appropriate. Um, but, you know, if, you, if you're feeling like you're a little stuck or struggling through this period of time, I'm here for you, right? I, um, uh, one of the nice things about doing this podcast and all the things I do is I have the ability to talk to people from all over the world, um, which helps me not feel so isolated or alone or just struggling because then I have a chance to talk to people. Um, you know, the same way people do that for me, I want to do that for you if, you're, if you need somebody to talk to or if you're having... Um, you want to bounce an idea off of somebody, you know, just send me an email. It's daviddavewakeman.com. You can text me. My phone number is uh, with the country code plus one nine one seven seven zero five six three zero one. 7056301 You can connect me on WhatsApp or whatever. You can find me on all the social medias. Just let me know. I know from, you know, personal experience dealing with other crises like the financial crisis or, you know, just like periods where things have been a little bit of a struggle that it's not always easy to talk to somebody or you don't know where who to talk to or what to talk about um i you know however i can help that's i mean i guess that's it you know as always i do want to thank you for being here um i don't know if i'll get any more episodes up before the end of july uh having the chance to put some episodes out in july and have great conversations with folks like um, Martin Hay and Nikki Purcell, Matt today, uh, Pierre Ether. Um, it was really great. It, it helped me get my head right. Uh, it helped me feel like I was on a positive, uh, moving forward trajectory again. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, I really appreciate, appreciate you being here, and I will talk to you soon, and sooner rather than later even. So take it easy. <laughs>